Isn't it great? <laughs> it's great. I, I, the- I, I love I love our music. I love my little logo up there. You know, it's. I was uh, going to say, great uh, graphics, man. Yeah, hey, well, <laughs> that's that's all that's all TJ stuff. So that's uh, uh TJ makes me look more professional than I would look otherwise. Also, uh, Mick, the background for today's episode is Freddie with the power glove. Yes, oh. great graphics, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, l- l- let me introduce my guest. Uh, this is Rachel Talley. Rachel Talley uh, is a uh, is a wonderful director, a producer. Uh, she just knows film backwards and forwards. Uh, a long, long, long friend of mine, and um, and uh, we have co-conspired on a couple of things over the years. And um, Rachel Talley, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Mick. Hey. <laughs> I learned a lot of things from Mick Strawn, let me tell you. I learned a huge <laughs> amount, number of things from Nightmare on Elm Street, and a lot of them came from, from Mick. Well, well, uh, I uh, we had a blast. I have to say, you, you know, this is one thing that you have to say about the nightmare on all streets is that uh, they were never boring. No, never for one moment a, were they ever boring. Not, I mean, no, for the twenty four seven, we were we were awake <laughs> during production. I had, I I don't know if you remember, but I had a period of seventy two hours where I hadn't been home. And I mean, yes. I've been like ca- literally catnapping, but, but the thing is, is we had four units going and everybody had to, you know, I was the production designer and, and nobody was ever going to give me a break. And so finally I, uh, I, I started to head home in this little Honda that I had. And I think about, I, I ran out of gas in, uh, on the five freeway. And this was the days of the emergency phone things, right? You know? Yeah. And I, and I got up to the phone thing and, and they said, well, can we connect you to a number that, uh, you know, that you can get help? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And I gave them the office number and I called in. And by then I was crying. <laughs> I said, like, I got the freeway. And, and I the car, it's gone. It's not even, it's not working. I was just completely, I was lost, you know, and, 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 uh, they put Griff, they put Griff on the phone. Griff, Griff Ruggles, the coordinator, they put Griff on the phone and Griff comes, don't worry, Mick, we will come get you. And so, so he literally came and he picked up my car, put it on a trailer. And then he escorted me to his pickup, <laughs> took me home, then filled up my car on the way, <laughs> dropped me off. <laughs> 45 minutes to my home. <laughs> I just remember during that time period that you were the only person who I could rely on. Um, and so there was this uh, to make sure that things were actually going to get done to, and so that we could continue to film. And so I would have this list, this make list of things like, can I ask him to do this one? Can I ask him to do this? <laughs> and what, what, 
which one is going to push him completely over the edge and, and backfire on me? <laughs> but there was always I a remember. situation with Peter Chesney that um, doing special effects that you could do it for what he was doing for half or a third the cost. And so I was always saying, <laughs> this could go to Mick. Do you think this could go to Mick so we could afford it? And, well, you got to uh, remember that before the show, I was working for T. Peter Chesney. So. <laughs> Um, and so that was constantly my, if we could just shove it over to the art department and that's what killed you. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's why I was, uh, yeah. Getting, uh, not, not able to read my gas meter anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, there, there was one, something that I, there was something that I really wanted to, uh, <laughs> to talk to you about. Uh, there was a cut. I remember, um, you and I and somebody else, uh, we went to a screening room to see an early cut of uh, the one with the uh, the wrists. What was his name? Uh, oh, yeah, the puppet master. The puppet, the puppet part, master, right? Part 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 three with the with the puppeting of the yeah. Right, the puppet, uh, the puppet, and uh, and we went Bradley, to a, 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 a Bradley Gregg, but I'm right, right, Bradley Gregg, right. You're like, yeah, you know, we this went, is like yanking things out of one's yeah. <laughs> well, one memories. I remember that we went to a uh, screening room and saw the very first assemblage of them cutting the arms and pulling the veins out and stuff. And that we uh, literally were almost throwing up. It was yeah. so creepy. That was the, <laughs> it was the, that was the first kind of clue that I had that this was really going to be something at least interesting, you know what I'm saying? That that was a weird sequence. And and it was so they cut it they had to cut it down way because it was so creepy. It yeah, I mean my memory so is and you're screeching into the recesses of my memory, but my memory was that we cut five frames and then send it in for rating and then we cut 10 frames. And then we cut then, five frames 10 frames. <laughs> 10 frames and 20 frames. In those cases they were frames. I mean yeah, they were actual <laughs> frames. <laughs> they were actually physical frames that we took out. Um, That's right. But yeah, we kept sending it in with, and I think Chuck right, Chuck Russell right at the beginning was aware that it was too gross. So the first, from that moment to the first cut back, um, what we were trying to do was make sure that they would preserve some of it because there was always that fear with the. MPAA that they were just going to say cut the entire sequence or oh ab um, absolutely so yeah, yeah they, but they, it was it was so graphic was, uh, and, um, I I just I remember I remember that everybody that w was walking out of the screen were like had their arms yeah <laughs> like, in your arms and holding your veins in yeah and holding your veins in like, going on oh, do you remember who did that effect was that was that Greg Cannon? It was Greg Cannon. Yeah, Cannon. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was. I'm pretty sure that it was. Yeah, because he he did the soap stop motion for it too. And he did the tongues. He did all the wrapping of the right, tongues. and and he did the tongues. But we yeah, had he was, four. We had four Greg Cannon was the what you. We did have four different makeup effects artists. So I was just trying to remember. I don't. Uh, we did. did. We had Canham, um, we had Kevin, uh, Mark Schostrom. 
Right. And I think John Beekler did a, did a couple of small things. I think John, it, the weird thing about John Beekler is that John Beekler was, <laughs> a single all, was weird kind thing. of like that. Yeah, a single weird thing, but, but, but John Beekler was the nicest guy in the world, but he, he, was, he always he was, was kind the of nicest like, guy that, he, he was like that guy that you went to at the, the I don't know why we wouldn't think of him in the first place, but you always thought of him in the last place because yeah. he would just do it. He would just do it, do it. And, and, and I don't know, I don't know that it was always as brilliant as some of like screaming. It wasn't like a Kevin Yeager or a screaming Matt George or something like that. Right. But it would, but it but would it always be solid. there. And it would always work. Yes. It was, it was solid, solid and it would work. And that's now, the difference because Greg Cannon was, my memory is that he was an incredible done. flake. He, oh my God. Yeah. Guy. <laughs> he just didn't deliver. <laughs> and then he disappeared and well, didn't take any phone calls. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> um, um, just, yeah, he wouldn't take the, he wouldn't take, I mean, it was hard enough to get this movie made, the part three made. And then there were moments like that where he just didn't take it. He wouldn't take phone calls. And you were like, is, is he going to deliver it all? And is he going to be there? Right. Yeah. Is he? <laughs> and, and yeah. those tongues were everywhere. Oh, the yes. freaking tongues were everywhere. I mean, the, 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 the tongues you would, we would shoot, we shot them on the stage. We shot them at the hospital. We shot the tongues, uh, behind the stage when we were, we were outside and we had the sideways, uh, bed set up and they were in Freddie's hell. And they were, and the thing is, is we never knew, you know, when he was going to be there. So I even noticed in the film that there were certain times where, especially in Freddie's hell, where we didn't shoot across him because I remember him not being there. And so we never, we, we, there was like huge dialogue pieces that weren't anywhere near the pit, you know, which you would have thought would have been kind of foreground to it because right. we didn't have any, we didn't have the tongues, you know, and it's like, Argh. and he was one of those guys that would always leave with them when he went. <laughs> If yes, he just exactly. left tongues around, I, re I remember that was my thing. Is he, if he just left them here, we could do this. <laughs> it's funny our different perspectives on that. I mean, that we remember we remember the biggest things, but I don't remember right. him taking them. Um, oh no, he but, he, he. But that makes sense. Of, I could, I could, yeah. Now he mentioned it. It's like, oh right. I, I kept trying to talk him into it. I could say, oh, God, please just, no, no, because, you know, you guys will mess him up. And I go, yeah, but at least they'll be seen. <laughs> Do you remember? So I think, I mean, for the audience, one thing I should sort of overview is the fact that in order to get Nightmare 3 done, we had to run four units all the time. and All the time. So, and, and three of the, there was, Chuck running actors, and then the rest of the time we were running three different units of special effects. So for exactly. me, the most dramatic example, and that's how I learned everything I learned about filmmaking. For me, the mo one of the more dramatic moments was the tricycle, which nowadays would be a, a, a computer effect, Tens but a very fast computer effect. Yes, um, but now, but then. I remember Chesney saying, because they had to wire the entire thing to melt. They had to build the entire thing and then wire it to melt. And I, you're right. probably going to have better details than I have. But my memory was, and they said, oh, it'll take about six hours to wire. So I scheduled this, them doing that while we did something else. <clears throat> 
And then it's the six hour mark. They said, oh, it's going to take a little bit longer. And that went on until the 12 hour mark. And now we're into massive overtime. And, and finally, at around the 12 hour mark, they decided they could run it. And it was incredible. But right near the end, a wire shorted out and there was a spark. And everybody's like, right. oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, we're going to have to <laughs> do it again after uh, 12 hours. Yeah. Because now, and it's still in there. And it's still, and it's in, the still in there. And it looks cool. That's the thing it looks really so, cool. It looks totally cool. But in the day, we were like, oh, God, how are we going to wire another one and pay for another one and put another day into this? Because every penny, I mean, we ever, you know, we squeezed every red cent and a oh. half. But I, I, so, I, I, that that's right, and it's still in the film, and it totally helps. And I don't, I don't yeah. even know why it helps because it doesn't make any sense. But it, but it's there, and it's like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> it's like those mistakes where they're just cool. Um, yeah. And so you think, oh, who thought of that? What a great idea! Just added a little extra to the to. Freddie, uh, Freddie, magic to it. Exactly. But, I, I always oh like God. this. I always like the story of the, of the Clorox bottle. That you, you know, when we got do, we got completely done with the uh, um, with the snake sequence, and we were having a problem because uh, the kinetic energy of when we first started to pull on that cable floated the carpet up like this, and and the whole sequence was floaty everything was floating and then it starts up the wall and then it makes sense. Right. Yeah. So the, the, so Peter Chesney and I were actually hanging out his, his uh, shop prepping for the uh, reshoot and the editors mentioned that to us and we were sitting there kind of, well, what, what, what would make sense? Uh, we're trying to think we, we need to make a, a close up of, of something coming at us. Right. And so, I went across the street. There was a uh, there was a value village right across the street from a shop, and I went across there and bought for twelve dollars. I bought an oriental carpet. We threw a bunch of leaves on it, tied a rope around an empty Clorox bottle, and he had a, 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 a B three, an old. He had a, no, he had a Mitchell, and he put the <laughs> Mitchell down like this, right at it, and and here's the and we just pulled the Clorox bottle underneath it, and here's the thing is that's the shot that sets up the whole the whole rest of it right so yeah. here's here's like what an $80,000 shot you know with with all the snakes and the yeah you know makeup effects and mechanical effects and and my effects and everybody else's effects and and the first thing that you see of it is actually a twelve dollar rug with a, a, a empty Clorox bottle coming at you i just i just love that that's yeah <laughs> That's but, the way this no, thing works. Now we're talking about the snake. I have a memory that in order to get the snake through the wall, you built a rig with skateboard wheels. Right. Um, that that a wire rig that you pulled through with skateboard wheels, and <laughs> then when we did it, half the wall came off or something. Right. <laughs> something, something went wrong. So what happened? What happened was that Chesney had me bring. Uh, he comes up into my office. He says, "Oh, we're doing that gag and uh, the uh, the snake on the wall wall." And and I, he says, "You're going to need to bring as many people as you can 
down to, to pull on the, and so I got 20 people, uh, every carpenter, everybody, everybody was there. Right. I got 20 people and he says, yeah, and, and you're going to run them. Right. And I said, sure, sure. I'll run them. And so, so, uh, Jesse gets all set up and, and we're in the room next door because we couldn't get 20 people into that same area. So right. we're next door with the rope and, uh, and he goes, okay, okay, rolling, 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 rolling. Okay, action. And we just pulled. <laughs> and I was like, and I told everybody exactly what to do. You're going to pull. We're going to walk from here. And we're going to go to here. Right? And we did that. And there was cut, 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 cut. Something's went wrong. And what had happened was that the aluminum track that we were, that we were, uh, that the skateboarder wheels were supposed to run in. In order, for some reason, one of the effects guys had literally taken a carabiner and hooked the cable to the track as well as to the skateboards. And so, and so what? And so here's I had twenty people just literally pull the track right out. And here's the thing: is next door when I went next door, I looked down and this track that we had carefully made before the show started yeah carefully made this incredibly complicated track it was stretched all the way across the stage (laughs) the other stage right we stretched all the way across and i stood i looked down and everybody else that had been pulling comes in and stands and everybody looks down and the guys come back around and everybody's looking at the track and then they all look up at me (laughs) and i looked up and i was like and I started to crack up. <laughs> and here's the thing. Nobody joined me. I cracked up. I was laughing so hard. I finally fell down on my knees and nobody joined me. And I thought that was hilarious. And I kept laughing. Because it wasn't really funny. <laughs> oh, I remember well. that the completion bond company who is can always take your film over when you do an independent film. The right. representative came to see me um, right, right in the middle of this kind of thing happening. And he said, well, Rachel, you have your foot on the brake, but not really. <laughs> the, train is, <laughs> the train is going running downhill and you don't really have your foot on the brake, do you? And I'm going, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we're, totally. we're, we're, complete, we're in control. <laughs> This control chaos is, and he said, well, and, and we were just in control. Just in fear. I'll tell you something. Whoever the first AD was, Dennis something. I I don't want to say, I don't want to say ill of the guy, but this show was so far over that guy's head. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was, it was, it, it was like, it was like, he was here at this level, you know, and we were like operating, you know, like way yeah. up here. And the thing is, is he didn't expect that because this was a non-union crew. Right. And, and yeah. you got to remember this was right. This was the time that the non-union crews were starting to come of age. Yeah. Right. These 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 were the people that took over. We took over Hollywood. I mean, we really did. And uh, and <laughs> the thing is, is that. That guy didn't expect it. Dennis didn't expect it. And every time, 
absolutely every time everybody knew more about what was going on than he did because he didn't think that we ever would. Right. And uh, I mean, until we got Robin Oliver in and Bob Engelman, who, who were both a little bit more savvy than he was. Yeah, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. That guy had very little idea of what was uh, of the the whole complexity yeah. of what was going on. It was like completely over, over his head. I, I I mean I did fire the grip electric, the, the DP, and grip and electric and ads in the first week. It, that was the first. That was the first yeah. group. Right. Yeah. So I didn't even really them, get to see I, the I fired the DP on day four, I think. <laughs> yeah, I did. You know what? And, and they were on location and I was so busy on the stage that I never I, I never even got a chance to even uh, see the guy in action. Uh, all I did was all I did once we started filming. CJ had to handle the locations work yeah. and I had to handle I had to handle the stage because, you know, we were. Uh, in trouble. <laughs> so, I, I thought that I would. Go ahead. Well, I remember on day, the first three days, we got eight setups or something, eight or nine setups. And uh, normally you should be getting between 20 and 40. 20 and 40, and, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, um, I mean, if you're super, super rushing, which Chuck wasn't because he was super working on quality. But yeah. there was no question we should be getting a minimum of 20 setups a day. And we were getting eight or nine. And on day two, I go in and say, hey, we can't work at this pace. Like we're making Nightmare on Elm Street, not uh, – and, and this is this is our schedule and you are not making your days. And this is – and he said, if you don't want me to light it, I'll shoot Black Leader. And <laughs> – <laughs> and to those of you who don't know what leader is that's the black film in the film days that's the black film that you put in as spacer when you wanted something yeah, to that's look spacer before when you, you started the yeah, film so he's that's basically right. saying if, you, if you're not going to give me three or four hours to do my lighting you're all, i'll just shoot black I'll, I'll just make the whole film black um right and i and i was like okay I go, Chuck, we need to replace this guy. And Chuck's like, uh-huh. And everybody's like, can you do can you can you work this out and not lose any filming time? And we did. I mean, we basically yeah. let him go at the end of the day and we were back with a new crew the next day. And uh, yeah. uh I, I uh, thought Roy did it. Applause to Roy Wagner who came in and took over and said we were getting twenty to forty setups a day, like we needed to. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we were moving with Roy. I, I had to admit, uh, and, and by the time we hit the stage, you know, there was Chuck was pissing off absolutely everybody, including Roy, but he never reacted to it. And I thought that it was amazing. However, there was one time that Roy did turn around when he was, I think we were in the, the thing with the mirrors, all the mirrors breaking. Yeah. And we were getting, we were getting, and, and, Chuck had said something outrageous as only Chuck could say, you know, uh, and, and he turns around, I, I'm coming between two other sets and I'm walking up and Roy just comes to the mouth of that set, uh, and, and kicks a bucket, a five gallon bucket as hard as he possibly can. And it goes right 
over my head, spilling crap all over me, right? I was like, thanks. <laughs> he and Engelman, Bob Engelman, were remarkable to keep keeping their uh, act together. And so if they had to go take a bucket, <laughs> you really yeah, yeah, so I, You know what? I, I got to tell you, on that one, there was just no way I could say anything about it. It was like, okay. <laughs> and I want to give a shout out to Rebecca Greeley, who was the production Absolutely. coordinator on it. Because basically, I was... The new line was so cheap that in order they were willing to give me a producer credit, but or a line producer credit at that point, which was a step up for me. But there was no production manager, so I was doing both right, jobs. Right, right. You were so doing both like, jobs. So yeah. There were basically two people in production running the entire production: Rebecca Greeley and me. And yeah. now <laughs> you go, I go on these shows, and the production staff there's. 20 There's people. so many people. That's you. You just look at you look at the credits these days, and you go, "Oh my!" I mean, not of course. There's a million people doing uh, opticals of one sort or, or another, but yeah, there's a lot. It's like so everybody's got an assistant, and every assistant. Yeah. There's even assistants that have assistants, and I go, "Wow, that's that's crazy compared to like uh, you know where we came from. We had we were poor." We were very poor. That's we were very poor. Was, so we did the, we did a great job though. <laughs> but so basically, I ran the entire production managing and producing the the film, and Rebecca just uh, did everything that I couldn't handle, which was huge amount of production managing. Um, while I was trying to deal with the fact that the film was so insanely complicated, but I hold it up as it's unbelievable what we did. Just I, I it was. It was amazing, and and all, all in the days before we knew what what the camera, what the film looked like <laughs> until the day, yeah. next day. <laughs> until the next day, exactly. I was amazed. I, I, I mean, the mirrors bringing up the mirror sequence. I remember sitting with Hoyt Yateman at Dream Quest, Dream Quest, yeah, right. and um, Hoyt, who was a genius, but. Trying him even saying, sure. I'm not sure this is going to work. Um, yeah. And, and then, I mean, the, the mechanics of, uh, well, they did the, that sequence wasn't written until, I mean, literally, I, 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 the, that whole sequence was not written and the end of the film was not written. Right. And I remember the day before on the, on the, uh, on the call sheet, the call sheet said uh, that that was the first time that that showed up and you guys hadn't passed out the pages yet. And, and, and I mean, for a whole new set, whole new sequence, right? And we're just looking at this going, what the crap? It said set, to de- it said set to be determined. And, <laughs> Which just and meant that, because I remember Chuck and Frank Darabont's script was very solid. So it must have meant, because I don't remember that specifically, I remember trying to work out how we were going to do it. Um, but So it must have been that we couldn't afford the set that we were right. running whatever, out. Right, because, whatever was I there. Mean, on Nightmare 4, the entire movie was not written, was never written. <laughs> But on Nightmare well, that was, 3, yeah, that was completely the other. <laughs> that's a completely other story. But on Nightmare Three, we had a solid script from Chuck and and um, Frank Darabont. We just had to figure out what how much oh, but, of it we but, could afford. Yeah, I and I think that we had completely shifted around the ending, though. Yeah, because the ending 
because even the ending, the ending as it is now is also pretty weak. I mean, because I, I can tell you this, honestly, we didn't know that that was going to be in a single place or if it was going to be a location or what, that we were going to end it. And, and we just pushed a bunch of flats together and I plastered them with, uh, I, I just distinctly remember I used pla two-tone plaster so that we didn't have to paint it. <laughs> and the walls were wet <laughs> when we shot it. <laughs> we didn't know that was going to be there. <laughs> so, hey, all, all this aside, um, uh, I, I just wanted to point out some of the things that I've loved about your girl, your career, Tank Girl, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. I wanted to ask uh, uh, the concepts that you used on Tank Girl on on uh, the exterior locations and so forth. Uh, how did that come about? Because um, it was very cartoon-like. Well, so it was based on a comic book. So we had a lot of concept art from Jamie Hewlett, who did the comic book. And right. we were extremely, I mean, Catherine Hardwick uh, worked very hand-in-hand uh, -hand with uh, Jamie Hewlett about all the design aspects. So I have pages and pages of designs that Jamie actually did. But it was Catherine who went location scouting and found the closed down copper mine in Tucson, Arizona, where we ended up shooting with these phenomenal, right. it was her, so much of the feel came out of her vision of going to this incredible location and saying, okay, this is going to be the water and power. And the, it was that ideal production designer thing where she had some time to go and look at a variety of locations and then come back and present ideas. And yeah, with all yeah. the TV work I do, um, you don't get that luxury of, okay, I've been to see 10 different places and I think this should work for this and this should work for this. And here's some early sketchups of ideas. Um, and well, the, like, the, the, T TV, you're just a you're just a guest if you're the director anyway. <laughs> so, well, but not in the UK. in the UK. That's not true. I mean, in the UK, oh, okay. there's but still the amount of time that you have to it, it's basically oh you think that how I remember the first time I did television and we went location scouting and they showed me a house and they said oh I think this works and then and then moving on to the next location. I'm like, we're not going to look at 10 houses. We're not going to look at three houses. And they go like, it works. It works. Why would you it look works. for another one? Why would you do that? Uh, and you're like, okay. Uh, okay. I'm, um, I'm been spoiled on features where we looked at 10 houses and yeah. decided the That's one that right. was best. And then now, uh, having done so much television and so often scripts are late, you only have a couple of days of prep in, uh, right. You're just desperate that when you go location scouting to to be that person who's like, yeah, this is great. Okay, that's done. Next. Um, right. You're desperate. <laughs> you're desperate for five minutes to work on how are you going to shoot it? And well, all it, you're doing it, is sit is sitting in a van looking for a location. That's not productive uh, prep time. Exactly. People don't understand how much how much uh, film is, is a balancing act. It's a balancing act for. For time, like um, you, it's very difficult when the film is done to understand at what time, money, <laughs> effort, uh, 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 trade-off you made 
in order to do something somewhere else. And, and, and that goes for absolutely everything. Yes. You know, that's how your day is balanced out. That's how everything gets balanced out. So you, know, you have it, to, I, I, you're looking all the time at what is the most important thing? What's the most important thing in every scene? What's the most important thing in the big picture in the whole movie? Exactly. And you're putting, I schedule my day so that the most important, I try to schedule my day. Often things conspire against you. But so you're yes, doing the no, hard, the, the most important and the hardest things at the beginning of the day when you're least tired and when you're not going to run out of time and say, um, no, we can't do this now. So if you rent a crane and you leave it till the end of the day, you're never going to get your crane shot. So just do oh, the crane exactly. shot first. <laughs> or at, well, at four hours, four hours into the day, they're going to come to you and say, hey, the crane guys are they, Oh, yeah, the crane guys are four hours. They're gone. And, and you're over budget now on that in camera anyway. And da, 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 yeah, yeah and right. So we can't have That's it back. And so uh, you, you have to, everything special you want to do, you better get early. And also, it's easier, it's well, better for the most actors to get the stuff before you're tired. Um, because right. then suddenly you're scrambling to do it in hour 13 or 12 or 13 or 14 and uh, you don't get the best work. So I, so day by day, hour by hour, I'm shifting things into, uh, I mean, that scheduling thing. And then the next thing is, okay, well, in the big script, what's the most important scenes? How much time are you going to spend in the most important scenes? Um, do exactly. you have enough time? And then what can you slough off or what can you shoot in one shot, one beautiful shot? So that's half the battle with at least. Um, exactly. I, I, I've said this. I've been saying this for years. You know, it's you have to look at everything and say, what's the story here? You know, where where is the story in the scene? And, 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 and how can I. Uh, with the resources I currently have, how can I tell this story? It's something that I took to Doctor Who very much, um, which is just basically there are solutions to the, there are the expensive solutions where you, and then you go on a show where you have no money and Doctor Who is a show that is under, underfunded and looks great and it, because there's this incredible passion for it looking great no matter what. Absolutely. But, it's uh, shockingly in the nightmare realm of not enough money. <laughs> and every trick in the book that I had and every trick in the book that uh, the producer on Doctor Who had, we just put together to say, okay, well, how are we going to solve all these problems? Um, and what can we do? And at one point, we had to suck somebody out of an airplane window. And the first thing I did was grab the ending of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1 with the Ronnie Blakely uh when she gets sucked through the through the uh, right through the door the house, yeah, right. through the door, and I said that's how we're doing it, and they looked at me like, and then I'm like, no, that's how we're doing it. That's how we did it. <laughs> <laughs> so and we had a uh, bunch. We had a bunch ahead. of kids there on set that day from Make a Wish, and their right. faces when we this blow this blow up doll with clothes blow up doll showed up on set. Their faces were. <laughs> and then they saw how it worked. We blew their minds. <laughs> I I swear, you know the things that you buy in quantity in this business that uh, that just wouldn't exist anywhere else. 
at least maybe five times over the years, I've had three or four PAs go out and find every possible uh, sex doll that they could find in town. <gasps> every blow up sex doll you could find anywhere. And, you know, going into a place and buying 15 or 20 at a time, you know, it's it's just, you know, I say it's like, look, if you're squeamish, I'll send somebody else because I have to get them. <laughs> Which reminds me, I got to tell a tank girl story. The OK, bed, let's go. Tank girl's bedroom. Um, which the studio had made me cut out for the following reason. Tank girl's bedroom was filled. The entire decoration in tank girl's bedroom was dildos. So, <laughs> right. So this wonderful Hollywood writer who I work with now named Sean Hood was the, um, set deck, uh, buyer. And he had to go right. to the pleasure chest and buy every, <laughs> he had a whole supermarket cart of dildos <laughs> that he went to buy. He still tells this story. He tells the story with such charm. And he had to, you know, he's, he's a little, little nerd. At that point, he was really young, pushing this cart full of dildos. Buys this whole cart full of dildos. <laughs> the room was amazing. And then when the studio head took, I mean, as many people know, we had a really hard time in post-production with the studio changed hands, the head changed hands, and he was did not get the movie on any level. And so he was like, he was just shocked and appalled. And he's like, we can't put this on the screen, a room of dildos. So he just cut the scene. Um, oh. so I said, but we need some of the content in the, no, we don't. No, I just, I can't, I can't. And so boom, did you, out it goes. Did, did you send him any of the dildos? I know. I wish I did. <laughs> right. Come on. I know. On. I missed it. Completely missed an opportunity. I actually don't know what happened to all those dildos. <laughs> They're not in my probably collection. That's uh, probably the drips. You, you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're, we're kind of wrap this up pretty soon, but is there any great single story that you wanted to, I mean, other than the dildos, because that was pretty good by itself. <laughs> I was going to talk uh, about a moment that I missed you, Mick, which was on uh, on Doctor Who, and um, in when I was making the probably the episode that people tend to know me best for, which is called Heaven Sent, which is this one hander with Peter Capaldi alone in a clockwork castle, Um, and Michael Pickwood, his production designer, is an absolute genius, but occasionally things would fall through the cracks. And, um, so he had the, the assignment was we had this, uh, wall of this made up material called this bantium that was, uh, supposed to be harder than diamond. And Peter Capaldi had to punch his way through the diamond wall over. Right. And over, over years and years. I favorite, yeah, a favorite 40, episode of mine. Oh, spoiler, spoiler alert over 40 billion years. So in typical production fashion, so Michael says, I've got this material and if you light it properly, it's going to look great. And I'm going to make you the tunnel of, of, uh, out of it and in little sections and you can build it as you go. And then you can have the wall as well to, to start the punching. And so first of all, so he brings this plastic stuff that really just looks like plastic. (laughs) <laughs> plastic and kind of just dumps it in there along with these three col- uh, like arches and he says it's going to work great you can I, 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 um, you just put the arches next to each other and it gets deeper and deeper and in 
typical film fashion because the page count on this scene was very small because each of these punches were like an eighth of a page. They'd given us maybe four hours to shoot this whole sequence where we were building the set as we were going along. And we were supposed to be giving the impression that Peter's getting deeper and deeper as years go by. And, I remember it well. <laughs> and um, so the wall now, and and Stuart Biddle comes and shot it. We did a, we did a whole bunch of tests to make the wall look beautiful, which we accomplished um, with all kinds of extra lighting effects and and um, and then we had to design everything so that Peter could actually punch the wall. Peter Capaldi could actually punch the wall, which was another set of issues. But when it came to showing depth in these uh, arches. Um, and running around and just everybody and their uncle running around, pulling these arches in and pushing them in place and then running them out with like 10 minutes to do the whole thing. And I just, the whole engineering. And I remember Michael afterwards looking at it and I was sitting there with the, the um, camera operator and we're changing lenses all the time uh, right. down to try and make it look different each time and to try and make it look right. deeper. And I'm saying things like, do you think a wider or I'm feeling stupid thinking I'm supposed to know this. Will a wider lens or a longer lens work better to give depth? And we're realizing that we're sort of in the unchartered territory of reflectivity in a black hallway. And um, it was just crazy. And it's exactly why you test <laughs> Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so somehow there's a beautiful sequence in there that people hold up as, and you just it, like, it. It actually worked really well. I mean, I I I love that sequence. I really but, did. Man, you just left thinking, and and I'm and Peter, of course. They say, don't make sure you know he's so into it, right? They're like, make sure Peter doesn't break his hand. So I'm like, what did you bring that Peter can punch? And they're giving me all those things that. Well, if you shoot from behind, you can't see what he's punching. And I'm like, if I shoot from behind, what's the point? <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah, yeah, right. What's a, why am I here? Why are we here? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I, there was some black and blue on Peter's hand by the time he punched the wall. He's like, I can pull my punch. I said, I know you, Peter. You're going to get passionate. Yeah, did. There was a, there was a bit of bruising. I mean, we had all kinds of different materials that he could punch, but, Visual effects wise, it would have been better if you think they could have given us a green thing to punch. Um, but that's sort of the miracle of what I learned from the mix school of try all these different things, <laughs> um, throw this, throw this tunnel in, throw this piece in, run around, change it up, and uh, <laughs> and it, then it, the it one ain't other, done in the other well, notorious story. Do, do I have time for one more? One more, yes. Um, was that we had to melt a hand. We had to melt his hand, his burned hand. And the, the uh, uh, visual effects wanted, um, the computer effects wanted a zillion dollars to do it. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And the effects people were like, oh, I don't know how we're going to do this. So my daughter and I built a hand out of uh, um, lush bath bombs. The thing that does the dissolving bath bombs. So we put that, we built one in a, oh, we yeah. built one in a rubber glove. And as a proof of concept <laughs> over the weekend, we went and bought our own, built one in a rubber glove and tested it. So that ultimately it's that 
technology that melted the hand, you know, a, a $20 so cool. uh, <laughs> lush bath bombs. That's the mixed run That's of it, it all. There you go. <laughs> well, hey, Rachel, I, I have to say, uh, it's been just great connecting with you again. Uh, you too, Vic. Uh, and, uh, it, and we've had a, we, we have a secret, uh, uh, we have a secret project coming up, the uh, uh, Behind the Screams series, uh, which uh, if anybody takes a – are you putting it up as your uh, um, avatar? It is. It's my avatar. It's my avatar on my Twitter account. Ah, there you uh, go. At, <laughs> at, <laughs> at Art Halloway. Uh And yeah, I it, can only say that their, their secret project is amazing. Just amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Anyway, thank you very much, Rachel. Uh, any any way that we need to get a hold of you, or are you good? I'm good. You're good. Okay. Th- thanks, thanks for Nick. coming by. You're the bye. best. Okay. Bye. Well, there you go. That. Yeah, that was a great episode, Mick. <laughs> that was really, really fun. So, take us out, my friend. Yes, so thank you guys for joining us on another exciting episode of the Rabbit Hole Podcast. That was special guest host, Rachel Talley. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We definitely got some content for our secret project, and we can't wait to show you. We have been chugging away behind the scenes, and hopefully we will have some stuff to show you very, very soon. But stay tuned to new episodes of Rabbit Hole to find more information about that project and... Listen to another episode of the Rabbit Hole Podcast next Sunday here at DoBackDiscussion.net. Mick, thanks for coming by, guys. Talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.